Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That's me. With me as always, with the craziest look in his eyes, Brandon Newman. You good? Oh, yeah, I'm ready to go, Mike. Let's go. <laughs> I don't like the way that made me feel. <laughs> like to keep you on edge, Mike. You know what? Consider it done, Brandon. And maybe that's the way it should be. Because today, we should be on edge because we got a very special podcast for you guys. It is our first conference preview for the world of college football. We're starting things off in the ACC. The Atlantic Coast Conference will kick us off. We said yesterday, training camp means you need to get that edge back. You need to find a way. And we are going to enlist the help of one of our friends, Roddy Jones, former Georgia Tech slot back and captain. 
and now current analyst at the ACC Network. You see him on ESPN. He was on Thursday Night Package last year with Matt Barry. You can catch him on the weekend with West Durham as well. But Brandon, he's going to help us break down every square inch of the ACC. It's an awesome conversation. And with all of these, we want to give you a cheat sheet, right? We know this offseason has been bogged down by a lot of the conference realignment conversation and just life. It's busier than ever. And so we feel like going into the season, hell, when I was prepping, Brandon, there was shit that I even forgot about what was coming up in this college football season related to pretty much every conference. But this one had a ton of turnover, a bunch of new faces, and might be as wide open as ever. So we're going to try our best with the help of Roddy to give you the cheat sheet you need to sound smart talking about the ACC and eventually every conference heading into college football season good luck to every guest that is to come on this podcast and make our audience smarter because roddy certainly set the bar high it was like a a encyclopedia for the acc and if you're if you're not if your team's not in the conference i can see how you just forget about them put them on the on, on the way side and only only deal with the the top teams in the conference well the way roddy uh breaks it down you realize that there's not a there's not that top team in the ACC anymore. So I'm excited to break down all these conferences, and, and this is a, a good sample size of just how smart everyone's going to be at the end of these. That's our goal. So definitely excited to help you out with that one. Got a ton of other stuff to get into. NBA news rearing its head back in here. The ice cream truck you know and love is under attack. And we will defend it with everything in us and try and start our way towards a better tomorrow for you because it's summer and the ice cream truck is a very important part of the summer ecosystem. So we got to make sure that one of the best items on the menu does not go quietly into this good night. But uh, Brandon, the NFL is also starting to NFL. We're getting close. Teams reporting to training camp. We saw our buddy Kyle Rudolph go down and sign with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after yesterday's pod. They made it official. And he's getting ready for camp there now. We also have one of the rights of off-season passage that went on, though. Mike Sando, reporter at The Athletic, does his annual NFL quarterback tiers for 2022. And in addition, listen, who doesn't love a great tier, man? Mm -hmm. Quarterback rankings in any form, awesome. But uh, this is always good because you get the anonymous quotes that come out. And good God almighty, the people feeling way too comfortable with what they had to say with that anonymous tag was at an all-time high in this one. Um, I want to read the tears first for anyone that may have missed this. Um, Mike Sando, so he goes and breaks it down into five tiers of the NFL quarterback. And they are ranked, so this order is the way that they were also ranked in these tiers, but... He had in Tier 1, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and Joe Burrow. Those six made up Tier 1 for his tiers. In Tier 2, Matthew Stafford, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, rounding out the top 10 for those keeping score at home. Remember, we had everyone pissed off because he was left out of the ESPN top 10 when that poll and that list were taken. So Lamar Jackson checking in exactly at 10. And then finishing off Tier 2, Dak Prescott, Derek Carr, Kyler Murray, and Matt Ryan. And we'll get to plenty more on Kyler Murray from the news cycle today as well. Can we take a pause right now? Just a, a, a quick quick Tier 1, Tier 2 look back. Sure. And because honestly, after this, no one really cares all that much about Tier 3, Tier 4, well, and Tier 5. Unless well, okay. you have a rookie quarterback on your team. I don't know. I feel like they are interesting. I, I'll read it. Tier 3 is... Cousins, Jimmy G, Tannehill, Mac Jones, Baker, Hurts, Wentz, Goff, Trevor, L- 
Really? Yes. Okay. And Jameis Winston. Then you got Tier 4, Fields, Tua, Davis Mills, Zach Wilson, uh, Trey Lance, DJ, uh, Marcus Mariota, Darnold, Trubisky, Locke, and then Tier 5, Geno Smith, starting for Mina Kimes, Seattle Seahawks. Okay, Tier 1 and Tier 2, what I love about Tier 2 is there's a lot of people in in that tier that should be there that weren't in that top, the bottom half of that top 10 that everyone went crazy about earlier this summer. It's one of those things where like, there's not a room for top 10, but like 11 through 13 can probably fight nine and 10 on the list. Well, I've always maintained that top 10 is more of like a vibe than it is anything else. Cause you're right. Eventually we got to lop someone off, but there are top 10 caliber quarterbacks who will be left out. If you do a strict top 10 list. And so I think with a lot of these, that's the case. I am amazed, though, the fall-off is pretty precipitous once you get to the middle of the NFL of having a guy, and Dan Orlovsky over at ESPN always talks about guys you win games because of and guys you win games with. Yes. And then obviously there's you know guys you win games in spite of, but like... Once we get down in like the like Kirk Cousins being at the top of tier three to me is the most appropriate part of this list. That's mm. exactly where he belongs. I feel that like is exactly who Kirk Cousins is. I hear is, you. But I feel he's like the Matt line of Ryan, demarcation. I, I feel like Matt Ryan should lead tier three. It should be Matt Ryan, Cousins, Jimmy G in that tier, in my opinion. I Weirdly, I have more faith in Matt Ryan. I think that so much of our perception of him has been based on our perception of the Falcons. Like, I still think there's a good quarterback there who, yeah. on this team especially, Indianapolis this year, they've sort of been like the universal quarterback solvent that just yes. couldn't fix Carson Wentz. Matt Ryan is like a grown-up, like, you know, he's not the talent like Carson Wentz, but he's a grown-up in that spot. He's much more akin to Phillip Rivers coming over there two years ago. Right, okay, there we So go. I think we're going to see a very Tier 2 quarterback out of Matt Ryan this year there. But to me, Kirk Cousins, like, at this point, it's the old Denny Green. We are they are who we thought they were. Like Kirk Cousins, very good quarterback, unless it matters in the postseason or any other meaningful like bright light spot. Like he's <laughs> he's very good quarterback. Statistically, it's backed up. I think um, like Football Outsiders and PFF both have him ranked as a top ten quarterback specifically seventh and eighth. I forget how that divvies up between the two. But that being said, statistically, we also know and. We appreciate those things, but at some point, Kirk Cousins, when you need him to win you a game of significance, has proved just good enough to get you beat. That's that's who he's been, even on a Vikings team that has dynamic weapons at wide receivers, has had at the end of the Mike Zimmer tenure a defense that usually could be counted on. That waned in recent years, but all that being said, like I still think Kirk Cousins is what we used to have... Um, in the you know uh, the Joe Flacco elite conversation, that's Kirk yes. Cousins. He's the line of demarcation when it comes to elite. Talking about Kyle, I think it was a Los Angeles. It was at the Coliseum Thursday night football end of the season. I think it was like late October, and it was the Vikings against the Rams led by Golf, and it was a touchdown clinic. It was just great pass on great pass on great pass. But at the end of the day, Kirk Cousins plays well enough, like you said, not to just get beat. But he'll get you. He'll get you beat close. That means the fans don't feel that bad at the end of the game because they're sitting on about six six losses that were about uh, was like fourteen points away from being six wins. Yeah, it's listen. 
Kirk Cousins is many things. He's a hero at the bank. He's a guy that pressed the NFL's salary cap and finance system in a way that made him a ton of money, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. But if I have a meaningful football game to win when the clock turns, when everything gets cold, that's probably not the guy I want at the helm of my team, just being frank at this point here. And him being with Jimmy Garoppolo and Ryan Tannehill feels right because those are all guys that feel like they've got a ceiling on what they can ultimately accomplish if your goal is winning a championship. So, Brandon, I want to get to the quotes that came out of this, though, because I thought there were two especially wild-ass quotes. The first comes in Tier 1. It's in reference to... Aaron Rodgers, who is the number one quarterback in this list. And it said, quote, this is an offensive coach who's obviously anonymous in this. Tom Brady has had more decorated career with 10 Super Bowls and seven rings. But I will say this, Aaron Rodgers has helped elevate every player on that offense. Brady with the Keel Harry did not elevate his game. Aaron Rodgers has had Devontae Adams, but he is still waiting for a first round receiver. They have not had great receivers overall, and he is still putting up major numbers. Did Jordy Nelson mean nothing to the NFL? (laughs) Jordy Nelson meant so much to that team that Aaron Rodgers pitched a very public fit about the fact that they would let him go without consulting him. That is crass and defensive, the way that he was characterized in that. And also, just the farcical notion that Tom Brady didn't make a bunch of receivers better over the years is fucking hilarious to me. Well, well, near the end, some of those big draft picks... Didn't pan out because the Patriots are notorious for being very bad at drafting wide receivers. And the Green Bay Packers. And again, you can say maybe part of this is also the... Listen, Aaron Rodgers helps. But Green Bay has also been a team that's gotten a lot of credit over the years for the receivers they have brought in in rounds two and on. So, I not to be confused with two and on down in Miami. But I would say they have demonstrated an ability to scout that position a little bit better than the New England Patriots, for sure. New England's right. draft, draft acumen has come under fire, I think rightly so. But, I mean, Brandon, Tom Brady has made a bunch of undersized white slot receivers into superstars in this league. Like, yeah, the reason, not, not the reason the we're even tw- tweeting about Julian Edelman and Adam Schefter questioning if he's going to be retired or not today is because of Tom Brady. Like, no disrespect to Julian Edelman, but well, that career does not look the same on a team without TB12 on it. I don't I don't want to go that far because I do think Julian Edelman is a specific talent from the MAC that is a one-of-one. One. Uh, Danny Amendola, maybe it's a different conversation. Uh, I, I think, like, Deion Branch, a, a talent. Like, I do think that Tom Brady – I don't hate this argument, Mike. I don't think that's that crazy of a comment. I think it's – You don't it's think Tom to Brady it's has elevated people into say, a status they would not have otherwise been? Brandon, that's ridiculous. It's fair to say, it's fair to say that Aaron Rodgers makes no-name wide receivers – Look like world beaters. Look like I, I don't know how we can we can contain or stop this person. Where Tom Brady, the way he manufactures his offense, for some reason he still looks like the star. Like a bunch, it looks like a continuation. Looks like he's doing a, a long layup, a seventy yard layup, where no one else could catch that ball but that person with their hands. Because otherwise, we wouldn't know who that person was. Like who is it? Rex Burkhart? Like. Yes, I do think there's reality to Tom Brady making his teammates better. But I feel like Aaron Rodgers makes his teammates shine. 
Like the, the like they look they look great. Like Greg Jennings, like no. Sh- I don't, you can't shake Greg Jennings because another Mac Power. Like, yeah, he's, I, he's, Greg Jennings, very good receiver. Yes, who was yes, on that he, team? Yes, and he had Brett before, but I don't. I don't know. There, there is something about Aaron Rodgers that makes it look more pizzazzy. It looks like he's got glitter. Well, yeah, he's got no glitter shit. on his shit. I understand that. Like Aaron Rodgers is so more talented than one. Tom Brady. Full stop. Listen, if you want to. That's not what this conversation's about. I don't give a shit. Aaron Rodgers won back-to-back MVPs. If you want to put him at number one, great. The insinuation (laughs) that, one, Jordy Nelson wasn't a person that existed or Aaron's had absolutely no help, and the idea that just because Nikhil Harry didn't pan out, like that's the one example they brought up for Tom Brady not helping people look better. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. it It is ridiculous, especially for... Who the person is it's like blaming the Raiders for not getting uh, Demarcus Russell off to a good start it's like okay like, let's I'm sure there's some other variables that that were uh, holding back but like it wasn't until it wasn't until Marshall Newhouse brought up Jermichael Finley where I was like oh yeah like the Packers the Packers have been right. doing this for a very very long time Aaron Rodgers, I thought, had to overcome coaching for a long time in a scheme that was very unimaginative with Mike McCarthy there towards the end that forced him to make some superhuman plays because the offense wasn't going to scheme much. That was a big part of why Matt LaFleur has been brought here and extended. Tom Brady has always had a little more coordinator help. That doesn't mean he didn't make people better. But Brandon, the quote that stuck out even more belonged in Tier 2. Or excuse me, uh, no, it still belonged in the end. Or no, it did belong in Tier Mm -hmm. 2, which again... Amazing to think about. So, again, Tier 2, Stafford, Russ, Deshaun, Lamar, Dak Carr, Murray, and Matt Ryan. And this quote was about Lamar Jackson because, man, it doesn't seem like we can go a week without somebody having something sideways to say. And according to one defensive coordinator, he said, quote, If he has to pass to win the game, they ain't winning the game. He's so unique as an athlete, and he's a really good football player. But I don't care if he wins the league MVP 12 times. I don't think he'll ever be a 1, a Tier 1, as a quarterback. He'll be a one as a football player, but not as a quarterback. So many games come down to two minute, and that's why they have a hard time advancing, even when they're good on defense. Playoffs are tight. You have to be able to throw the ball, and he's just so inconsistent throwing the ball. It's hit or miss. It's That's such a wild take. It's like they're not watching Lamar Jackson's balls hit his receiver's hands and fall off. Now, I do think there might be something to Lamar Jackson throwing too hot of a ball, like maybe some of his balls aren't catchable because there's not that they feel like rocks when they come in. And we've seen that with Patrick Mahomes every now and then, like missling something in a little bit too much and it's too hot for uh, Kelsey to handle or something like that. But this act like he's not. I understand the, the sentiment of whatever this GM racist aside. No, I'm joking. But it, it's it's these tropes of like he he's a good oh, yeah. football he's a good football player, but at, at his ceiling he'll be a great football player and a mediocre quarterback like no Deshaun uh, Deshaun excuse me uh, Lamar Jackson throws a beautiful ball and can be caught by hands that are strong enough to catch them it's insane to think that he can't play his way into being in tier one and it's also insane to think that he hasn't gotten better at throwing the ball year over year. Like, obviously, that that MVP year was kind of tied to how much he ran and threw the ball and how many interceptions he did not have during that time period. But I think Lamar Jack, we're seeing Lamar Jackson get better as a quarterback. And to say that he'll never be a Tier 1 quarterback in the NFL, just is like you're watching the game with blindfolders on. 
I think there's always going to be a lot of that hold guard, old guard that holds in the highest esteem possible, you being able to do it as a pure pocket passer. Because Lamar Jackson, that's True. certainly, you know, a part of the game where he and that offense, like we have hold a lot of accountability on that team and their passing coordinator for putting together a plan that develops and makes sense of more of Lamar Jackson's strength. Greg Roman and that offense seemed to get stale after a while, yeah. especially with the passing combat uh, concepts. So it's a total picture there, but you're right. It falls back on a lot of racist tropes that end up being the things that people yeah. lob at black quarterbacks. Because ultimately, I think this is a league where a lot of the old heads don't want to see dual threat quarterbacks succeed. Because to them, it's a challenge of what they know. You're supposed to win from the pocket. That's supposed to be the thing that you're going to do. And the notion that if Lamar Jackson continues to be highly successful, doing it in a way that involves all of his unique gifts, that somehow that doesn't make him a great quarterback is a ridiculous notion. It's antiquated. It's dated. We need to let it go. And we definitely wouldn't do that with a quarterback with a different pigment, you know, skin color. Exactly. Thank you. And I'm, brought, I'm glad you brought that up specifically because this is where I want to go with it. There was a commentator, it was that 2019 season, and they were saying that when they wear the black jerseys and Lamar Jackson does an option, run option play, defenders can't see if he's holding the ball or not because his skin is so dark. And it's an advantage that, that Lamar Jackson has that no other quarterback has. And I believe that the commentator was suspended for a certain amount of time uh, because he – and I, I, I sympathize with them only because they're trying to explain the unexplainable. Yes, we've never seen anything like Lamar Jackson before consistently and throw the ball but every time he does throw the ball that people act like it's a fluke because you're trying to wrap your mind around what you're seeing well I think you just got to get used to it because Kyler Murray's that same thing except for in a in a much smaller package like we're watching a part of the NFL evolve and grow in the quarterback position so that Warren Moon doesn't look so uh like off a of left field, like Dante Culpepper isn't such like a crazy concept. They don't they don't even put this shit on Dak because I think he passes out of the pocket enough for people to get past this. Like a lot of those big Dak plays are after the pocket breaks down and he's like a Ben Roethlisberger who does this same type of durability like throws after contact thing that Lamar Jackson does. So I, I'm just tired of the, of the tropes. We don't understand what we're seeing with Lamar Jackson. Just say that. It's And the anonymity of all this is always going to be sort of a sticking point for me too because people are doing this because they know the words won't be traced back to them. And it is a reminder, like, this is good to know that these feelings persist and that we're not past any of this stuff, even people that feel like that might be the case. But you're right, it's quarterbacking that continues to look a different way. And just because it's not completely the way it was, yes, you need to be able to pass to win. Yes, Lamar is capable of doing that, but the best parts of his game are going to look a little bit different right now. And there are some people that very much apparently still want to fight that off. You brought up Kyler Murray. I want to get to the wild contract stipulation that we saw hit the internet yesterday. But first, Brandon, I want to tell you about a hike I went on this past week. Oh, nice. Yeah, went up to Runyon Canyon over there, got my sweat on early in the morning when the MLB All-Star Weekend was going on here, and I did it wearing a pair of knockaround sunglasses. Because as we've talked about on this show, 
So much can go into a pair of knockaround sunglasses. They only cost about $30 per pair. There's 15 different frames, a ton of different colors. I went with some bright and blues, the good reflective lenses that mm. look real cool when the sun hits them. And the best part is you can customize all of these to sometimes include the little rubber on the nose to make sure it's not slipping or gliding anywhere when you're doing activities. So I'm able to run, hike, do all this stuff out having to worry about any of my sunglasses moving around. I get to look really cool. I get to look like I belong on the mountain with all these people that are, let me tell you what, just beautiful people, like men and women all yes. over this mountain. Yes. And without the confidence of my sunglasses, I would have been like, you know, remember in, uh, in Mr. Deeds when the little kid had to put on his sunglasses in the courtroom to yes. feel like he was invisible, to feel the confidence there. That is what knock around did for me around all these beautiful people on this damn mountain. I, and rightfully so. I mean, I, and I would say that you fit in uh, perfectly because you wore because you were wearing your knockaround sunglasses. Exactly, and you can feel that way too. Again, over a billion possible combinations from the knockaround custom shop. They're lightweight. They have great great clarity. Rubber nose, no slip, slide, or bounce. Knockaround sunglasses are high quality polarized sunglasses at a truly affordable price. Again. Only around $30 per pair. Check out their huge range of shades at knockaround.com. Uh, Brandon, Kyler Murray could buy a lot of knockaround sunglasses with what we saw come out of his deal here recently. Uh, signed a yep. deal that included $160 million guaranteed. Loved that. Always happy when young guys get paid. But what was interesting with Kyler Murray's deal, as we saw per a tweet from Ian Rappaport, the NFL insider over at the NFL Network, in addition to the $230.5 million overall on that contract, there is a clause that requires four hours of independent study each week during the playing season. Independent study, and this is all verbatim from the contract, means the player studies materials provided to him by the club in order to prepare for the club's next upcoming game, including, without limitation, any such material provided via iPad or other electronic device. Players shall receive no independent, no credit for independent study for any period during which the player does not personally study the provided material in good faith. For avoidance of doubt, the player shall not receive any credit with respect to periods in which the material is displayed on the is displayed or played on an iPad or electronic device if the player is not personally studying or watching the material while it's being displayed. The player is engaged in any other activity that may distract his attention. For example, watching television, playing video games, or browsing the internet. Brandon, they put a clause in his contract that said Kyler Murray has to study at least four hours a week, and he can't watch TV or play video games while doing it. I love it. I, what part of this do you love? Uh, that we're getting a, finally, getting a accurate depiction, description, articulation of what the Cardinals have been dealing with with Kyler Murray at this entire time. I, I've, I've talked last yesterday about the Larry Fitzgeraldness of the whole thing and how he wasn't sure if he was the type of leader that the Cardinals needed to win a Super Bowl and continue to bring a championship to Arizona. This right here, this right here proves that everything that people were thinking and, and uh, speculating about is true. Like, it's like, okay, this is going, this is how you're going to time Brady. Like, this is how you're going to watch film. We need you to do this. Please put your phone down. Please don't play uh, uh, Animal Farm while you're studying the playbook. We need you to focus. And I think this is the beginning 
of how a lot of these younger quarterbacks are going to have to be uh, micromanaged specifically to make sure they get all their their price points because he could just not do this and miss out on some money. Well, it'll be interesting how you go about enforcing this because a lot of the terms in there included in good faith, which indicated to me, I don't know if there's going to be someone checking on him during all this shit or doing the math on any of that stuff. It is wild that his agent would allow this to be written into the contract for a deal like this unless he was confident that his client was already doing these things and it wouldn't be an issue. Now, there is, you mentioned about Kyler Murray and his background. He is known as someone who spends a lot of time as a Twitch streamer. In an article from 2021 in the New York Times, um, written by Ben Spiegel, he said, quote, I think I was blessed with the cognitive skills to just go out there and just see it before it happens. I'm not one of those guys that's going to sit there and kill myself watching film. I don't sit for 24 hours and break down this team and that team and watch every game because in my head, I see so much. Now, Brandon... I'm with you on what message this sends that it has to be written in there. Like, I distinctly remember being in Amsterdam with a friend on a trip. And we walked down an alley and we saw a sign that says, please do not urinate in the alley. And my friend said, damn, think about how many times someone had to piss in this alley for them to feel like it was worth their time to put up a sign saying don't piss in this alley. Like, it's got to happen a fair amount of time. So I believe that this is indicative of something the Cardinals have looked at and said, We want different behavior. The questions I have are, first and foremost, who thought it was a good idea to put this report out there? Who thought that this was a good look for anyone involved? Because Mm. I shudder to think that Kyler Murray's agent or representation would put this out as any sort of indication that this would be a good look for their client. So then I go over and look at the team side, where like you said, if the team may have not felt like there was an accurate characterization of Kyler Murray out there in the public and they wanted that out there, why in the hell would you put that out there after you paid dude? Man. So you decided to make him your franchise quarterback and theoretically someone inside your walls thought it was a good idea to say, yeah, this guy doesn't really study as much as we want to based on the terms of this contract. That's the part I can't reconcile in my head is, Who thought this would be a good look for anyone inside the walls of that building to have this information out there? For a good look for Kyler Murray or a good look for the Cardinals and saying, hey, we gave him this money anyway, even though we have these concerns. I said yesterday, I believe that they didn't have much of a choice because of his talent and what he's yielded them as results on the field. But even with that, when you hand him that amount of money and then next week the headline is this... I have questions about the way everything functions in there and where the hell this came from because it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, It seems like it's coming from a spot of desperation. Is that fair to say? Like they can't let this talent that they drafted as early as they drafted get away at this point in time. This is what I love about this is it reminds me of like a relationship and you can speak to this more than me. And it's like, okay, I I can – I see this person. They have all of these qualities. I really like them. I can see a future with them. But – they're found foundationally and functionally, they have were taught some home training things that would have to change for us to get married, right? But you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and get engaged though, because I know I can work on these things. Like I know if I articulate myself and let the partner know that these things are no goes. And I put it in the contract that they'll acquiesce and start to learn and grow up and and be the man, the woman, the spouse, the partner that I want them to be. But guess what? My mom said it to me a long time ago. People are just going to be who they are. And you got to take them as they are. 
and, and, and live and learn and love them through it. I don't know if the Arizona Cardinals are ready to love Kyler Murray for who he is. I will say this, Brandon, and this is the other part that I responded to because you're right in that this is clearly like sort of like on The Bachelor where you get engaged to date type thing. That's kind of mm. how it works with NFL contracts with quarterbacks. In all of this, the conversation is going to be about work habits because most of us look at this, and especially most of us that have played competitive football at any sort of high level, you spend a lot of time watching film. Like even for us playing college football, spent an impossible amount of time in the facility watching tape. Once we were finally able to take it home, it was DVDs back then for us, but yeah. now these guys get it loaded up onto an iPad like I do. For college football, I watch tape on an iPad all week, and I can tell you I damn sure watch more than four hours. That's where a lot of that reaction comes to. But Brandon, I would say this, the NFL is also littered with cases of incredibly talented players not doing that same level of work that their True. lesser talented peers do. And I think this is what happens a lot in pro sports is those of us who aren't as talented as some of the freaks that are on these stages automatically assume if you're not at least doing the work I would do, you're wrong. And I just want to push back on maybe we need to rethink some of that. Because if you look at Kyler Murray results and numbers-wise, he's gotten better every year he's been in the NFL. True. He's been a Pro Bowler the last two years. They made the playoffs this last year for the first time under Kyler and Cliff Kingsbury. The arrow's been pointing up in a number of ways based on the talent of this quarterback and the way he's played football. Longevity in this league always seems tied to, and the one way I'd push back on people don't change is we see players all the time as they get older in this league, as they change physically, as the game changes around them, as they mature, as they become 28, 29, 30-year-old men instead of 23, 24, 25-year-old men who have been handed the world, that they eventually learn different work habits, and maybe that's what this is about. Sure. But it's not completely, it's completely unfounded to have something like this written into a contract. And that's, I think, sounding the alarm for a lot of people. But I also think that there's been plenty of players in NFL history. I mean, we've got all that audio of Brett Favre back in the day asking someone what the nickel was on the field. We heard Patrick Mahomes in the shop early on in his career saying he was really still learning how to read defenses. Like, all of these things, yeah. obviously a different extreme than asking your quarterback to study for four hours uninterrupted. But I'm saying that there's not, it's not totally unprecedented to say people with unique gifts don't always operate and move like the rest of us. You know, that's, that's the only thing I want to say in here. Ultimately, I think the mark of a professional is going out, especially at that position, and doing the work requisite with your paycheck. Understanding yeah. that if I am paid the most to be the face of this franchise, there's a level I need to perform up to to do that. It's what you'd want in a pro, but at the same time, if something has worked one way for someone for so long, and they've been rewarded and reinforced all along in those ways, it's also hard for me to look at them and say, that process has no merit. Like that's, right. that's the one part of this that just because I can't reconcile how Kyler got to this point because he's so much more gifted at anything than I have ever been at anything doesn't mean that the way he's doing it is automatically wrong. It's just, you know, again, everything... Like the Patriots dynasty is a perfect example. When you do things a certain way, it can produce a certain result when you operate within a strict set of parameters. That's why you don't often draft quarterbacks that are 5'10", because history has told us things in a certain range tend to work a certain way. Outliers are possible, they're just usually not probable. And so maybe the behavior in this situation 
isn't probable in yielding a Super Bowl as the ultimate outcome if you're not going to put in that requisite amount of work. But Kyler Murray can still be very successful and the Cardinals can still be right in re-signing him based on what he's shown so far. I mean, yeah, I think the NFL is the perfect example of a league that is, oh, this person's built different, this person's built different, this person's built different. I mean, Rob Gronkowski has famously always said that he doesn't watch a lot of film. He goes out there and does it. And to bring it all back to Katie, like we always love to do, it's if Kyler doesn't want to turn his recess into homework – we well, should let him do his – we should let him – and also the, – The one thing I would say is this isn't recess. This is his job. And that's well, another reason people are going to push back is it is your job. But and so being asked to do work at your job – now, granted, this is homework technically, but it is seen as a part of what you need to succeed in this job based on everything we've seen. 100% agree, but I think – what Kyler Murray is bringing to the quarterback position may be more of an artist style, right? Where in his rider, he needs certain things to get into the mood, get into his vibe, get into his bag so that he can see these things and, and be predictive. And he and doesn't like need that. to like, play video games to be good at quarterback. Like we don't, we don't have to go that right. far and act like this guy's reinventing. You just said, you just said, let's not, assume that the way he's doing things is wrong my only thing is for is for the Arizona Cardinals with this contract extension what they're communicating quite literally verbatim in in written form is yes we what we paid you before you were able to do x y and z and get better and be in tier two uh of, of quarterbacks in the NFL congratulations but where we're going where we need you to go Cliff Kingsbury, Steve Kime, we need you to put this level of dedication into it so that we can feel better about paying you what we need to pay you. And if he signed that contract, then he feels good about it too. Yeah, I guess that's the other part is he did end up putting pen to paper and now there's reports that the Cardinals needed this in there to feel good about handing him that money. Ultimately, I feel like you should approach things as a professional and do the work necessary there. But again, I always have a hard time identifying with people that are incredibly talented in the ways that he is. Doesn't make him a genius. Doesn't mean that I think he needs to go out there and use video games. Like, it's not a correlation between he plays X amount of video games and he will play this well on the field. I don't think that's the case. I think he likes playing video games. He's so good at sports that he can get away with not studying as much as everything else, and it hasn't burned him yet. And the Cardinals have decided that they would like yet to be further and further in the past and this be where they're moving more towards. Well, it sounds like they want yet to be further and further into the playoffs. Yes. I mean, that's 100% what they want. It's what everyone should want in this situation. It's also a reminder, like, not everyone's going to love football the way that a lot of us do. Like, everyone's right. got a different relationship with it. And sometimes it's just, hey, my talents and gifts are in this spot. And I can use it to make myself a shit ton of money. And I can play as well as I want to from that point. So this is them trying to lead a horse to water, so to speak, and trying to get him to a spot where he does some of the things that we've seen more traditionally in the quarterbacks that are able to take that next step. So fascinating, unprecedented, wild shit in this Kyler Murray contract. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to gear shift into a different gear, talk to our friend Roddy Jones from the ACC Network about the upcoming college football season in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Growing up playing sports, I learned really quickly that how you do the little things is how you're going to do everything. 
That's why coaches always harped on us about having our hand behind the line on sprints or picking up our locker because that was going to directly translate to critical moments on the field, making sure we're lined up right, taking the right steps so we can go out there and execute and win ball games. Small actions can have big benefits, just like how taking care of your gut can support your entire body's health. That's where our friends at Seed come into play. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is going to benefit your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I just got my welcome kit and started taking Seed's DSO-1 myself, and I'm loving it. I love the convenience of being able to have it in the cabinet with my other supplements because you don't need to worry about refrigerating it, and I love the free travel vial that comes along with it. I'm constantly on the road, and so being able to take DSO-1 with me on the go is huge for my lifestyle here. I'll tell you what else I love is the fact that it's backed by science. DSO-1 was developed in collaboration with Seed Scientific Board and based on their foundational work in probiotics and the microbiome. And with new clinical trials and breakthrough research published in top scientific journals, Seed's probiotic research development and innovation programs make DSO-1 a product you can trust. And it's great in convenience, too. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when they're used consistently, just like any other routine health habit. And Seed's subscription service is going to easily help build DSO-1 into your routine, again, with no refrigeration required. So, Trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash gojo and use code 25gojo to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash gojo, code 25gojo. All right, ACC, the first up in our college football previews. Very excited to take a look at this conference. Even more excited to do it with our friend Roddy Jones, former Georgia Tech star, and now you can catch him all over the ACC network, ESPN. Roddy, what's going on, man? Uh, not much, guys. I'm, I'm I'm happy to be on with you. I'm happy to see your faces, and uh, I appreciate you doing the ACC first. And I don't know if that's because it's first alphabetical or as former members of the ACC being Notre Dame guys. Don't, guys don't, don't. I'm sorry. Don't, I mean, don't. I, don't, I don't know why you, would, why, why you had it first, but I do appreciate it. I, I don't know why you want to start off on the wrong foot. I just enjoyed I, watching many, many, many minutes of YouTube videos of your, your face getting prepared for this interview. And I was really excited to talk about the ACC. I got my Phil, Phil Still and Athlon previews right here in front of me. And then you, you go and, and throw well, Brandon, Notre Dame football. I, see, I mean, Brandon, I think what he did is absolutely right because we had one of the greatest one-year tenures in the history of any conference. That is Walk true. Walk right in, go to the conference championship game in year one. Now, it doesn't necessarily go well, but it's about the journey, not necessarily the destination. So I had a great time with our friends in the ACC, and we're going to have a great time with Roddy today going with what we actually have on the football field this year in the Atlantic Coast Conference. It is the last year of divisions in the ACC, which is very exciting. But, Roddy, starting with the ACC is kind of twofold because, one, it is alphabetically first, and it's just the way I wrote it down in the book. But also, I think the ACC will we'll get the conference realignment stuff out of the way at the beginning so we can talk ball here. But from your perspective, you, know, you were down at ACC Media Days. We've weathered the storm this summer after UCLA and USC kind of unsettled everything by leaving for the Big Ten. So as we head into the 2022 college football season, I want to start with where do you see the ACC currently in the college football landscape relative to everything with realignment? 
Well, that, that's the question we've all been asking ourselves all summer since USC and UCLA made that move. And I, I think what we've learned over the past couple of years, number one, we've all learned what a grant of rights is, a media grant of rights is, because I'm not sure many people knew what it was before all this went down. But the ACC's media grant of rights, which was extended in 2016 as, a, as an agreement with the network and ESPN to, to, get, um, to get the ACC network, or excuse me, the conference and ESPN to get the ACC network. And it was on the heels of, of Maryland, one of the founding members of the ACC, going to the Big Ten, some other schools, Florida State being one of those, flirting with other conferences, um, Georgia Tech flirting with other conferences. They, they wanted stability. So, so the grant of rights runs through 2036. And until that's challenged in court and somebody wins, I, I have to feel pretty confident that, that schools aren't going to be uh, excited or, or schools aren't going to be jumping at, at, at trying, to, uh, trying to get out of it early. So I think the ACC is actually in pretty good shape from, a, from, a, from the standpoint of, of its current membership staying stable. Um, and in the future, like if you're looking 10, 15 years down the line, I think what's going to happen in the ACC is entirely determined by what the end goal of the Big, Big Ten and the uh, SEC are. Because I think there's sort of been this narrative or maybe this insinuation that, that the Big Ten and the SEC just want to eat everything up and form these giant conferences. And I actually kind of look at it more like if I'm Greg Sankey, I'm trying to create the most value for my members. And at some point... There's no more schools that you can add that are going to continue to add value for, for Alabama's share of the pie. And the question is, where is that number? Is it 16? Is it 18? Is it 20? I have a hard time seeing it being bigger than 20. Um, but that's kind of going to determine what the ACC looks like long term. But in the short term, the ACC is going to be fine. Now, we can have a relevance conversation, like how relevant is the ACC going to be with the backdrop of the Big Ten and the SEC with 16 teams? And that's entirely based on on-field production. But in terms of who's going to be in the league, short to medium term, I think the ACC is going to continue to exist as it is now. Well, and you mentioned the relevance conversation. So we walk into all that. Obviously, Notre Dame plays a role in what's going to happen to some extent with the ACC going forward. But like you said, even that is a little bit complicated with all of the different TV things out there. So I think we're going to have to wait on that. But the the relevance portion of this, I, I want to then go back to what happened on the field last season because I think so much of that conversation is predicated on what happened to the ACC in 2021, which is Clemson took, relative to their standards, a little bit of a step back here. You had all the alarms going off for a team that ended up finishing with double-digit wins and a bowl win <laughs> during last season in their down year. But in that time period, you know, we had... North Carolina, I think, not quite live up to the preseason expectations last year. Miami went through a QB change on the fly and may have found their quarterback of the future. Um, you know, NC State got a win over Clemson and people felt like maybe they got closer to something. So, Roddy, for you, and all of that too, by the way, Pitt, you know, getting to the ACC championship, doing what they did and winning the conference last year with Kenny Pickett. So, Roddy, I'll give you a blank slate with last season in the ACC. What stuck out to you as maybe the most noteworthy event from 2021 that now was going to help shape what happens with the conference going forward? Yeah, I think it has to be the gap being closed to Clemson. And and a lot of that was Clemson's doing, you know, not figuring out the quarterback position, the offensive line struggling early in the year. They were ravaged by injuries at receiver and on defense, including the defensive line, which was excellent. But NC State took a step. Wake Forest took a step. 
Um, and, and then obviously Pitt took a step. Uh, so, so I think that's probably the biggest thing overall in terms of perception of the league though, like it was a fun year to cover the league, but you had these things happen that really shaped the national narrative. So, I mean, in a game that you did, NC State, a team that's very, uh, people are really excited about, goes to Mississippi State, a Mississippi State team that ended up being better than we thought. But at that time, that was seven out of seven in the SEC West, Mississippi State was. They go to Starkville and they lose that game, a game that they should not have lost. You get Pitt losing to Western Michigan. You get Miami being utterly embarrassed early in the year, not able to tackle against uh, Alabama and App State, Michigan State. And if losing those games, and they, they beat App State, but losing the other two, there's no shame in that. But it's the way it happened, the Sports Center embarrassing moments that happened along yeah. with it that really sort of shaped the league. And then you get Carolina, which we did the thing where we get excited about a team because they were good, and we overlooked the fact that they had two all-world running backs lead. They had a lot to replace a receiver, and how are they going to evolve on defense? Um, we, we anointed them and they did not handle it well. They handled it like a team that, that you know, got money and didn't know what to do with it. They blew all of it before the season started. And they had nothing <laughs> was time to cash out during the year. So, and then Virginia Tech had, had a down year as well, ended up firing their coach. So, so in terms of the brands, it was a, it was a tough year for the league. And, and hell, I haven't even talked about the fact that Florida State lost to Jacksonville State on a Hail Mary on the last Ooh. play of the game. So, so you throw all of that in, Ooh. and it's happening on, a, on, you know, in the first five weeks of the year, most of it, and uh, and 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 it really sort of changes the perception, or it really it really cements the perception of the league for the entire season, especially with the background of Clemson struggling. So, I do think that that this league, with all the quarterbacks it's bringing back, is going to be elevated this year. But you got to avoid some of the missteps that I just talked about that you had last year. Well, just sticking with the relevancy conversation with the ACC being in a good position media-wise and just trying to grow and continue to close that gap with Clemson, and Clemson continue to try to close that gap with Alabama like everyone else is trying to do, do you ever see the ACC's, let's say, third-best team like being finding themselves in a New Year's Six bowl game the way the SEC's third-best team can usually does or or Big Ten even? Like, would the conference be that strong uh, in the first – anytime in the foreseeable future. So the potential is there. Um, no, you got to go out on the field and you got to execute it. I think Mario Cristobal at Miami, uh, that thing is going to work. I have no doubts about it. You know, we. I think Mark Rick's going to work at Miami. I think Manny Diaz is going to work at Miami. That's kind of what we were saying before. Mario Cristobal at Miami is going to work because the investment that they're putting in that program from an administrative standpoint with Dan Radakovich coming over from Clemson, um, from a coaching salary standpoint, they've got the biggest assistant coach salary pool in the entire conference. They've got guys like Josh Gaddis, who won the Broyles Award, comes over. They've got Kevin Steele, who was at Auburn. You know, a lot of people wanted him yeah. to be coach at Auburn. <laughs> um, he's on that team. Uh, but you've also got Charlie Strong coaching linebackers. Like You've got guys that have done it at a very high level. And Charlie Strong, his last two head coaching stops have not gone particularly well, but the dude's a hell of a defensive football coach and has been for years. So, so they're investing. Yeah, and a great recruiter. That's a great point. So they're investing heavily in that program. They got the collective or, or the, the the booster, John Ruiz, that's down there throwing around the money. And and by the way, they're going to be good this year, which is going to kind of turbocharge everything that they want to do. Because the proof of concept, you're not going to have to wait three years for. You're going to get it this year. They're, they're, they're going to be a really solid football team. So I think there's a the potential there with Miami. 
And then you need one of Florida State or North Carolina to get going because those are the two schools that have the potential to recruit at that level so that your third best team can make it. Now, you're going to have years where an NC State's good enough to do it, a Pitt's good enough to do it, but you need you need three to four really solid ones that you feel good about every single year, and then you let those other ones kind of cycle through. But getting that, even getting that second team has been a challenge for the ACC since the demise of Florida State because back in like – 13, 14, 15, Clemson and Florida State were as good as it was in the country. And Clemson was trying to get over that hump. Uh, but Florida State was, you know, national champion in 2013, college football playoff in 2014s. And, and Clemson was right behind them uh, making New Year's Six Bowls. So the ACC needs to get back to that. So it, it sounds like Miami could be the answer for two questions I had for you then. Because the way you just described that situation and Mario Cristobal is one of four new head coaches in the ACC this year between Brent Pry over at Virginia Tech, Tony Elliott at Virginia, and Mike Elko at Duke. So with that, it sounds like Mario Cristobal certainly primed to have the most success in year one of any of those head coaches for the obvious reasons. But also for the conference, Roddy, would it be fair to say that Miami doing well would be the best thing for the conference overall this season? Would that team be the rising tide that lifts all ships? Uh, it would be the, the the singular one that does the most. But I think Florida State's got a chance to have a pretty good season as well with the improvement that we saw uh, in the second half of last year. I mean, look, they're playing at a game against Florida to make a bowl game after starting 0-4 a year mm -hmm. ago. They've got Jordan Travis back. There was improvement on the offensive line. They may have one of, if not the best running back room in the conference. So, and, and they brought in like a million wide receiver transfers. I think the, the official number is like five or six, but, but some of them are going to be good. Like a guy like Michael Pittman coming over from Oregon, you'd expect some production there. They've got some good talented young freshmen and that defense, they played a lot of young guys for a couple of years. So they've really grown up. They've got two stud defensive tackles. So I think Florida State could have a good year as well. Miami's got the higher ceiling to me, though. So if Miami reaches its ceiling and Florida State can be a seven to eight win team, that I think really buoys the conference in a way that there's no other combination of teams could just because of the brands. Like you want to get people excited about those two brands. And with Mario Cristobal coming in and to be quite honest, some questions about Mike Norvell. Um, I think those solidifying those two programs would go a long way towards the league. So I, I, I think, you know, a Carolina, a Virginia Tech having good years could help too. But those two, the combination of them, I mean, they're the ones that people are going to tune in to see on a week-in, week-out basis if they're good. I think those, those obviously. And then Clemson continuing to be what they are, right? And I, I think – that becomes an interesting conversation, and we, we've mentioned some of it of, you know, the, I would say, team that's got to get over the hump in this year in the ACC. Some of those sound like candidates, but like, Roddy, I look at that, and I guess it's how you define the hump, right? Like, you've got a team like Michigan last year, who I think at a different con con uh, conference slayed a lot of their demons, got a lot of that stuff off the table, beating Ohio State, getting to their first college football playoff. NC State got a little version of their monkey off the back with Clemson last year and doing what they managed to do there. But when you look around the conference, is there that team that, you know, you think is a prime candidate to get over the hump this year? Whatever their perceived hump was, do you think there's one team that's ready to step up over that? Uh, so 
My answer would have been Wake Forest, but they won the Atlantic last year. So I think they got over it last year. And I think they've got a really good team coming back this year. The the prime candidate is NC State because NC State, uh, this is the best team, maybe not the most talented, but the best team that Dave Dorn has had at NC State. I mean, remember, he had the Bradley Chubb year where they had four guys on the defensive line get drafted. You know, he's had guys like Naheem Hines and, and, and Jacoby Brissett. And, like, he, they've had talent. Jacoby Myers is on, on some of those teams. So they, they've had talent. This collection and, and, and the ages and who they've got coming back and where they've got the quarterback, they've got the offensive line, we think uh, the defense should be excellent. This feels like the year where if you're to do it, it's got to be now. And some of that's some of that has to do with Clemson. You know, the, the fact that Clemson still doesn't have the quarterback position figured out, at least right now as we stand. And you get Clemson early enough in the year. They get them week five, October 1st. And you have to go to Clemson, which Clemson hasn't lost at home in forever. I don't, I don't know what the stat was. But, like, look at the close games Clemson played last year at home. Boston College had a shot to win it at the end. Louisville had a shot to win it at the end. Georgia Tech had a shot to win it at the end. All of those teams inside the 15-yard line to take the lead and win the game, none of them could do it. So until somebody beats Clemson at home, you know, it's almost unbelievable that it can happen. Uh, but it feels like if NC State's going to get it done, this is the year, man, because you got the quarterback, you got the defense, uh, and the culture of that program is really solidified. Dave Dorn's done a great job with the coordinators. Um, so it feels like them. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to get your – you saw a lot of NC State last year. Yeah. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on NC State and whether or not you think they can do it. It, it, it. It's so interesting, Roddy, and you're right. We had them, that Mississippi State game where there was all the expectation and then the air got let out of the balloon. And I thought maybe the even more damaging one was the Miami game later in the season when Tyler Van Dyke, Miami's star quarterback, comes out and talks a whole bunch of mess about a game he didn't even play in the year before with NC State. And you could tell with Dave Dorn and that group, they came into that game with a little extra hair up their ass because of those comments and felt like with that defense, which we know was ravaged by injury last year, their linebacker room, one of the best in the conference when it's fully healthy. But at that point, they felt like they were going to go and feed him some humble pie. And for Miami to go out there and to rally the way that they did in that game, I thought was a big shot across the bow. And, and Roddy, it just felt like to me, that team, you knew exactly what they were going to do. They had a defined strength in the run game along the left side of that line with Iki Aquanu, who ended up becoming the first, you know, first round draft pick and all the things that people wanted. But it just felt like the minute people started to put eyes on them and look and expect something, that was when everything started to tense up a little bit. And again, injury was a huge part of that. If that defense can stay healthy, it's one of the best in the conference. But that was a challenge for them last year. Now you've got basically every meaningful part of that linebacker room outside of, I think, Drake Thomas, who's coming off of some major injury. And so that's what I worry about for them offensively. Can they do enough to start to stretch the downfield passing game a little bit? Emeka Mezzi gone from that wide receiver room with all the great things that he did for them. So that's just... Those are my concerns is when the lights come on here and that's, but that's, that's the hump. It's can Devin Leary and all of that experience and Dave Dorn, who's been around and coached at a really high level forever. 
just have that team that's veteran enough to finally look at one of those moments and say, we got it. Because they'll have opportunities for it this year. We'll talk about some of the cool you know, schedules and the games in conference that they'll have a chance. But that's that's just my worry when the lights came on last year for NC State and we started to expect things. It seemed, and I, I shoot, I know all about that coming from a program in Notre Dame where it took us a long time to not tense up in those moments. Yeah, and, and that's that's... One of the biggest questions I have about NC State, they, they've got all the expectations heaped on them. And then, like, football-wise, this was a team that that was not as good running the football as we like to remember, and they lost their top two rushers and a first-round pick in the offensive line. They lost their number one receiver, who was a clutch big play guy. So I have to see them offensively correct, or, or I have to see them offensively be able to replace those pieces before I fully buy into them offensively. Defensively, I think they're going to be great, but it's college football, man. Like you got to score points, right? It's at that what you just described there too feels dangerously similar to all the things that we were saying about North Carolina last year, right? You bring back the they're a little better, they're better set up from a talent standpoint than Carolina. Like Carolina, I thought I thought those two running backs covered up a lot of flaws that they had, yes. particularly on the offensive line and even in the pass game. Like, I mean, Sam Howell's getting in trouble, he jump, dumps it off to Javante Williams, who makes a guy miss, runs over another dude and goes, you know, 40 yards against Boston College for a touchdown. So those those running backs covered up a lot of stuff and then the ability to hit Deami Brown deep. I almost think NC State's like, you know, they were so steady Eddie that the steady Eddie guys are gone. Now can you be more explosive? It's kind of like the opposite. Like Carolina was incredibly explosive because of the guys and then they yep. lost those. NC State's losing their steady Eddie guys, so can you be more explosive? Uh, I don't know, man. To NC State's like your straight-A high school student that you're like, you know what? Like, go out and do something right, right, bad. Right. Like, I need you I need you to get a couple beats. Like, maybe even a C. Right. Have some fun, yeah. NC State. <laughs> the NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NC State is like a steady eddy of, of a college football program, period. Let's get to some sexier names because the Pac-12 losing USC, UCLA's gone too, but USC you know, it's going to be hard to stop the bleeding for that conference. Big 12 losing Texas. Like, it's it's going to be hard for that conference to be that conference without these names. We don't have to worry about this right now, but in the future for the ACC, which one team do you think that could possibly leave that would leave the ACC in shambles? I don't know that there's a singular team Brandon, to be honest, because we're having this debate on who's the most valuable team to another conference in the ACC. 
and and there's no consensus. You know, I would say most frequently you actually hear North Carolina number one because it's the it's the primary school in the biggest state that doesn't have an SEC or a Big Ten school. And as much as we like to look at the brands, the TV TV revenue still matters, and getting the in market rate for SEC Network or Big Ten Network for the state of North Carolina, the 10th most populous state in the country. It's a lot of money that that you would that you're leaving on the table in a way that Clemson's not going to do because SEC already has South Carolina there and it's a small state. A- and Clemson is a small public school relative to especially the Big Ten and the SEC state schools. You look at a Florida state where brand is there, obviously. Uh, the the enrollment size is there. It's a decent sized school, but Florida's already in the Big Ten, uh, sorry, already in the SEC. And does the Big Ten want to go down there now? Manifest destiny of the Big Ten? Maybe. They, they might. So so the question is, you know, who is the most valuable? And then there's talk about Virginia, which is the, the state school and the second most popular state that's not in the SEC or the Big Ten. So for all the reasons I just mentioned. So I think it would have to be a combination. You know, if you got a North Carolina, Virginia leaving, a, a Florida State Clemson leaving, a Florida State Miami leaving, that wouldn't be great for the conference. Um, and, and then there's debate about, you know, whether or not the Big Ten would want like a Georgia Tech to get that that Georgia market, to get into Atlanta in terms of recruiting. Everybody wants the door open to Atlanta in terms of recruiting. So, um, you know, I, I, think, I think if it were to crush the ACC, it would have to be kind of like what the ACC did to the Big East. And you got to take like five of them because Ooh, like yeah. the ACC, I mean, the Big East survived the departure of Miami, Virginia Tech and Boston College. And they were, they were alive and kicking in 07 when West Virginia was running wild. And then when you go and you get Syracuse, you get Syracuse, Louisville. you get Louisville, you get Pitt, like that kills the conference and makes it a basketball conference. So I think it would have to be something like that. Got to tie a bunch of them together to a tree. And see if you can make that the uh, bait that you're looking for there. Um, before uh, any of the demise of the ACC, though, uh, Roddy, looking at this season, we've talked about some of the guys already and said some of the names, but I do want to kind of zoom out a bit on the quarterback picture because you mentioned this is college football. You got to be able to score points by and large when even the SEC West has become a time and space league. We all know where this thing is going. So, running down the list, we've mentioned already. Tyler Van Dyke at Miami, who seems to be, I think, one of the guys that was a big, you know, he was obviously a big riser last year, but I think in the conversation about quarterbacks nationally this year has a chance to really be someone who pushes his profile forward. Like you mentioned, DJ Uyunglele, we're not sure what that situation at Clemson is going to look like yet. Malik Cunningham at Louisville, Brennan Armstrong at Virginia, Sam Hartman at Wake Forest, Devin Leary at NC State. Looking at that group right there, if I give you one quarterback to win a game, one guy to save your life on this one from that group of, you know, some young guys, some veterans, some lesser known, some more known, which of those guys are you taking and why? Man, uh, so I should pick Devin Leary because if you look at Devin Leary over the course of his time at NC State, when he's been healthy, especially in close games late, the dude's been fantastic by and large takes care of the football, you know, he, he's not going to try and do too much. Sometimes I actually think he has his room to be a little bit more aggressive down the field. Um, but he's everything that you want from a guy where you're like, hey, look, you got one game. Let me get a guy where I know what I'm going to get. But I have to go Tyler Van Dyke because he's got a little magic to him. Like he's got a little something to him 
that you just have to love. And, and look, in the last six games last year, threw for over 300 yards in all of them, threw for three or more touchdowns in all of them. It's a, a feat that very few, if any, have done. Uh, and and the emergence, his his comfort in that offense, he quickly became sort of an – he went from being an afterthought to being the guy for that team very quickly. He's more athletic than we give him credit for. The dude can actually run. Like, he's not going to make you miss in the open field. But straight line speed, he can run. He outran the Virginia defense in the game that I did last year up the sideline for a touchdown in something where I think the safeties from Virginia were like, what the hell? What? Where, the, where did that come from? What was that in the scouting report? It was so early on, and they had, it seemed like they had no idea. But he's got the arm strength to make all the throws. You know, this morning I was watching the, the pit game. You know, they've been replaying a bunch of these games on the network. And, and so you, know, you click one on in the morning over your eggs and bacon and, and start to watch it. And it was the pit game. And I had forgotten how many hits he took in that pit game, how many throws he made under pressure. Um, and I'm talking free hitters off the edge. He knows he's going to get hit, but he's got to stand there hold his water and then deliver the ball right before he takes the hit. I think all of that put together. And then the fact that we're, we're really just scratching the surface in terms of, of him playing college football. He's played like eight games over the course of his career. So he's only going to continue to get better. I, I, I'd have to take Tyler Van Dyke because I just love, and I think physically he's as talented as any quarterback in the league. It's so true. I, I think it's always a good exercise. And I'm sure you guys have run into this at some point. Like, Every time I pop on tape to watch somebody, usually I'll pick like a unit. Right now I'm picking units on specific teams. Why I start watching the tape and why I finish watching the tape are often very different reasons. And in any game where I've started watching a defense that was playing Tyler Van Dyke, I've started trying to watch that defense and I've ended up watching him or watching Jalen Knighton or watching something about that Miami core that's coming back on offense that's gotten me kind of excited for that team. So you're right. There is just, he's got some shit to him. Like he he is just one of those guys. It factor whatever you want to call it is a little bit different. And again, the group we just read, Devin Leary, awesome veteran guy here. Sam Hartman operating a very unorthodox offense with that long mesh point and what Wake Forest was able to do points-wise last year. Brennan Armstrong, the lefty ginger lightning rod, who is an... like. If you didn't watch Virginia for whatever reason last year, that kid alone is worth the price of admission, man. Lefty Ginger with an earring just hucking the rock around the yard is an like absolute jacked, freak. by the way, like a big yes. dude who's going to run past you, run over you, stiff arm you. And he's in it, that's another guy that just like walks out on the field and you're like, I want that dude on my team. I, just what street ball, whatever it is, he's awesome, man. What if Ed Sheeran got bullied into the weight room? People are asking. People are asking. We've never seen Brennan Armstrong and Ed Sheeran in the same place. The same oh time. shit. You think he's one of those guys? Because we had a quarterback when I was at Notre Dame and Everett Golson, who, when we would get to the hotel the night before games, would go down and riff on the piano. He was one of those guys you could play him a song, and then he could just sit there and spit it back yes. out. Savant. I helped. Savant. I helped him edit a paper one time about the merits of learning that way versus learning traditionally, and I was like, "Ev, you realize people don't have a choice to learn like you. Like you're gifted, and the rest of us are mere mortals." But he would do that. I I wonder if Brennan Armstrong, if you just like put a guitar in front of him in the hotel the night before games, if it just starts to leak out and his alternate I identity. I don't be <laughs> <laughs> he goes right into it. He can't help it. He, he can't.
can't help himself. He can't help himself. So come to Virginia for the quarterback. Stay for the concert after the game that Brennan Armstrong is going to put on. But, you know, Malik Cunningham, we mentioned too, is a guy who's been doing it at a high level at Louisville in his own way, you know, in a program that, you know, in the wake of Lamar Jackson and everything that he did there is still kind of trying to find its way. We'll get to Louisville more when we talk about, I think, some of the hot seat conversations that they're going to be a part of in this season. But DJ and Clemson, Roddy, where are we at with that program? You lose both coordinators this offseason as Brent Venables finally leaves the nest there in Clemson to go back and coach at Oklahoma and be their head coach. Tony Elliott going down to coach the aforementioned Brennan Armstrong at Virginia. So now Dabo's got the overhaul there, and you've got, for the first time in a long time, question marks about that quarterback position in Clemson heading into a season. What do you expect from the quarterback there and from that team in 2022? I'll I'll answer the question in the opposite order that you asked, because the the team I think is going to be fantastic. That defense, you can't talk enough about how good I think that defense is going to be. Now, the obvious comparison is like, will they be Georgia from last year? No one's going to be Georgia from last year. But if you're looking for a defense that's the closest thing to it, I think it's this Clemson unit because on the defensive line, you've got two juniors, Miles Murphy and Brian Brzee, who, if they reach their potential this year, both of them could be first-round picks. Both of them could be top 15 picks if they stay healthy and if they play well. Brzee had the knee injury last year, didn't play the vast majority of the season um, after tearing his ACL. Miles Murphy was fantastic. But not only did they have those guys, but Tyler Davis had a bicep injury last year. He's coming back as well. Ruka Rororo, which is one of my favorite names to say, but he was a backup that got a lot of valuable playing time, really stout in the middle of that defense. And then, by the way, you've got Xavier Thomas and KJ Henry, two guys that were five-star recruits that have been in that program forever. Like Xavier Thomas, I thought he was going to leave in like 2018 to go to the league. And he's still (laughs) playing for him. And then KJ Henry has just been like the the consummate professional, never really the starter, but anytime his numbers called makes impactful plays. So they're really deep on that defensive line. And then they're obviously going to have some young guys linebacker. They lose Skalski inspector. But they get almost more athletic with Jeremiah Trotter Jr., with Barrett Carter, and then Trenton Simpson at that Sam linebacker position. He's fantastic, man. Just a rangy, incredibly athletic linebacker who they think, you know, could be a great. That's secondary as well. Landon Zanders was banged up last year. Andrew McCuba was the defensive rookie of the year in the conference. He's back. Nate Wiggins, a big, long corner. They got Sheridan Jones, who played a lot for him. So I think that defense is going to be absolutely stellar. And then offensively, that's the big question, man. You ask, what do we expect out of the quarterback? If I'm Brandon Streeter, who's the first year OC, longtime assistant coach, I am building this offense much like it was in the Cheez-It Bowl at the end of last year. It's going to be based on the run game with Phil Moffa and Will Shipley and Mikey Dukes. It's going to rely on that offensive line, which was much maligned but got better over the course of the season. The vast majority of it comes back. And so I think they'll take a step forward. And then you just want your quarterback to hit, hit the layups. Like, I need you to complete a five-yard pass on first down to get us to second and five, second and four, second and five. Like, that's what I need from you. I don't need you to hit the shots down the field because that defense is going to be good enough. Where if we can hit those, great. 
But as long as we keep the chains moving and we are a run-based offense, it's going to hit our, inter- our our short to intermediate routes and just keep matriculating down the field, which people love it when you say that because, oh, love it. love it. But, but, but just keep the offense moving down the field, then this Clemson team is the best team in the conference. So I don't think they have to be incredibly explosive on offense. I just think they have to be steady. And so the question is, who does that? You know, I was talking to Tom Luganville the other day, and he said he thinks he sees – Cade Klubnik as a guy that's like a Kellen Moore with a little bit more athleticism, very accurate underneath, can run a little bit, you know, short, will sort of remind you of Deshaun Watson without the physical attributes that Deshaun Watson possesses at the elite level. Whereas DJ has the monster arm, but can he rebuild his confidence? And, and what we saw out of the spring, at least the spring game, you know, I only saw the spring game like everybody else. It looked a lot like, stuff that we saw last year, missing those layups on first and second down to create third and longs. And that's not where this offense wants to live. So so if if I was a betting man, I would say that we end up seeing Cade Klubnik, certainly in the first game, maybe more and more. And I think he ends up being the starter if he is as advertised uh, an accurate quarterback. I don't think he's going to be Trevor Deshaun, but if, if he's accurate, then this is going to be a really good team. Well, just sticking with ACC quarterbacks, I'm coming from Louisville. Uh, I, I was I was raised a Big East football fan, uh, unfortunately, uh, and all the, and all those times. But we have a guy, <laughs> Malik Cunningham, who's doing his damnedest. You know what I mean? Like the in the streets growing up, Louisville, Kentucky, the the beef was real. Nowadays, Kentucky's been whooping them up so bad that it's not even it's not even like that. And at uh, the ACC Media Day, Malik Cunningham said, they swear the team up the street is that much better than us, and we're going to show them that they're not this year. So he's like, talking smack to the, the you know town rival with UK, which you know I'm sure Louisville fans like to see, but realistically, because that's what my problem with Louisville fans, I never wanted to go to Louisville because Louisville fans just irked the shit out of me. Um, what is Malik Cunningham's actual ceiling by the end of the season? I think Malik Cunningham, um, I don't know that it'll be the first team all ACC quarterback, but I think he could be the second best quarterback in the league by the end of the year. I, and I, honestly, I don't think we put him in that conversation enough to be, to be completely honest, uh, because we, we, we don't, I don't think we properly value what he does with his legs. I mean, single-handedly, he can take over football games. He is not Lamar, but he's about as close to Lamar as we've seen in college football since Lamar. And, and, and so I think that he is – he doesn't get his due. A couple of years ago in 2020, had big turnover issues. So Scott Satterfield challenged him, don't turn the ball over. Well, what does he do last year? He only has five turnovers the entire season. Like he was fantastic taking care of the football. And, and so I, I, the, the evolution of this offense, to me, isn't necessarily going to come from Malik Cunningham in particular. His growth will, will help them, certainly. But if the offensive line lives up to its billing, because I think by the end of the year, it was one of, if not the best offensive line in the conference. I mean, they went from being last and second to last in the nation in tackles for loss allowed to being one of the tops in the conference in tackles for loss allowed. You know, about five per game. They were up to like 10, 11 per game a couple of years ago, which is going to happen with the stretch zone scheme that Scott Satterfield runs. You're going to give up penetration. You're going to give up some tackles for loss. They did a little bit less of that last year, and the offensive line was better. And then if they can be more consistent at receiver, at the beginning of last year, I thought Malik needed to make some steps throwing the ball down the field. I thought his touch was a little off. Uh, but that improved, and then the receivers couldn't catch the ball, including a guy right. in Tyler Harrell who can run by anybody, but 
at times struggled to catch the ball down the field. It got better at it, but, but you know, we'll see what he does at Alabama. So I, I think the evolution of this team is going to come from those areas around Malik Cunningham, but he's as good as there is, man. And, and he'll make some throws that make your jaw drop just in terms of placement, uh, timing, and, and throwing on the run, which is where I think he's fantastic. So I, I actually expect Louisville to be pretty good this year. And that feels important because we know it was a bit of an uncomfortable offseason for Louisville and their head coach, Scott Satterfield, and some of the conversations that went on around that program. And so, Roddy, looking at this season now on the other side of things here, the hot seat side of things, I had three teams written down as what I thought were coaches on the hot seat in their program. As we head into the 2022 ACC season, who do you look out and say has to perform this year or we could be talking about changes being made? Well, I think I'll go north to south. Uh, I think you start at Syracuse because we've sort of had that conversation around Dino Babers quietly for a few years. Um, he's been there six seasons or he's, he's going into his seventh season there. And only one of those he's had a winning record. And it was that 10 win year he had in 2018. Um, so, I mean, you go six years with one bowl appearance. Now it's a great year. Um, but I think people in central New York are starting to ask some questions about where the program is going. If indeed Dino Babers uh, is the guy. And their schedule is tough. I mean, they start they start at oh, – sorry, they get Louisville at home to start. But then they get Purdue and Virginia in the month of September. That Virginia game is on short rest on a Friday night. Um, so, <laughs> well, I, I think getting off to a good start is, is going to be big for Syracuse. Defensively, they should be really good. They got our boy Robert and I over from Virginia. So, offensively, I think they're just going to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks, kind of like they did at Virginia last year. But they've got an excellent running back in Sean Tucker, the best running back in the conference for my money, um, who's also a track star, by the way. He ran the Man. track team at Syracuse. All I ask is that Syracuse does enough for him to get the national credit that he deserved because that was the frustration last year with a guy who was unreal and carrying the load on an obvious offense. God, whoever will listen, send help to Sean Tucker because he deserves it. He certainly does. Um, so I think Syracuse is first and foremost – I think if you look at Louisville, there's some chatter there. I mean, they've got a new full-time AD. You know how we feel about ADs making their hires. Now, that AD has already made the most important hire at the University of Louisville, the basketball coach, yes. hiring Kenny Payne. So I think that may shield him a little bit. You know, Scott Satterfield is seven, eight wins. I think he's fine. If he's six, I think he should be fine. I don't know what the appetite is in in terms of in terms of where they think they could be. This feels like a team that should be good at Louisville, and if it's not, you know, I think we'll have to start asking some questions about Scott Satterfield, and then Georgia Tech. You know, Jeff Collins coming in after Paul Johnson, three three win seasons, and you got beat a hundred to nothing in the last two games of last year against Notre Dame and against Georgia against the University of Georgia. And it like Georgia, it could have been 500 to nothing in that game alone if they'd have just given Brock Bowers the ball every single play because it was, it was Georgia Tech had a tough time tackling him. But Jeff Collins had made a staff overhaul, and I think Tech fans don't necessarily expect the bowl. The reasonable ones don't expect the bowl game because that's going to be tough. I mean, Georgia Tech starts with Clemson, then they get yeah. Western Carolina at home, Ole Miss at home, they go to UCF, and then they get Pittsburgh. So. 
that's a hell of a five game stretch to start. So, you know, I, I don't think reasonable tech fans expect a bowl game, but you expect improvement. And I think the improvement um, is incremental in some areas and certainly not obvious enough in others. So those would be the big three. The other one that like sort of low key, I don't think anything's going to happen this year, but like let's keep an eye out in case the year doesn't go the way that it's expected is Florida State with Mike Norvell. Um, mm -hmm. Because I've heard it a couple of times like, hey, Mike Norvell better get it done this year. And I don't know. I, I think six wins, obviously, I don't think he's going anywhere then, but I do think it makes his, hot, his seat hot in 23. But like, I think he needs seven or eight wins to have people buying into what he's doing fully. I, I remember, so I called their game against Louisville down there when they were on the precipice of going 0-4 for the first time since, like, the 1970s. It was definitely pre-Bowden, whatever it was. And I was amazed at how hard the team still played in practice for him. There was definitely, Mike Norvell has gotten the guys to buy in down there, and we knew financially it was just not going to be possible for them to do anything with him based on the way they have managed money with the previous coaching hirings and firings down there. But every year we get further into this, you're right, that's a great one to keep in mind because we've talked about they've been involved in a lot of conversations around the sport that are a little bit outside of what the on-field accomplishment is merited. So there is some need to kind of protect the brand there as far as Florida State. The other three were the exact names I had written down, so we're, we're definitely on the same page uh, with that one of these guys. Well, just how much does the narrative of the actual football season have to do with those coaching changes when the time comes? Like you get a mid-major guy that like gets on fire. Like I was, I was uh, GAing at Ball State when PJ Fleck was recruiting his ass off and becoming, uh, turning Western Michigan into a, a, a mid-major power. And or and then you look at all the uh, assistant coaches out there that you know. Um, Cincinnati puts up a, a, a great defense. And then we Marcus Freeman gets a chance to be a D coordinator at Notre Dame. Like, how much does the narrative during the season sway the opinion of, of keeping or letting go a coach for uh, an ACC conference team? I, I don't think that much for, for this league. You know, this – well, <laughs> I say that, and, and you just have Manny Diaz uh, be left in limbo while Miami very publicly quartered Mario Cristobal. Right. So, so just as I was about to say, I don't think, you know, schools are looking at other coaching the potential. He's he's head coach coach too, yeah, yeah, I think some of that was that. And he's, you know, two-time national champion in Miami. He's from South Florida and all that. So, so, so that was sort of a unique situation, but I don't think other schools are going to be looking at, you know, who's the next hot group of five coach to bring over um, because number one, financially, you know, it's not, it's not like the, the, the schools are, are, are rolling in money by and large to have these, uh, to, to take care of these massive buyouts. Um, but two, there's, there's just no guarantee. You know, so many of these schools are, bring in the right guy and develop. And some of development is giving time for development to happen. Um, and then there's the question of, hey, does the hot group of five coach want whatever school in the ACC is coming up? Like Syracuse isn't getting a hot group of five coach. It's just not going to happen because that, that coach is going to have other suitors. Um, so I don't think they will look to make a move. You know, I, I think it was someone like Georgia Tech, Financially, not in the best way. Jeff Collins got a seven-year contract. This is year four. So buyout-wise, it would be significant. Would you be willing to go out and pay the hottest group of five coach? Could you even get that guy? I don't know. Um, so I don't think that there's as much of that looking around like you saw with the Georgia 
who was coming off of a, a run of success with Mark Richt. But the only reason they fired Mark Richt is because Kirby Smart's going to take a job somewhere, and they wanted it to be at his alma mater. Uh, and that's worked, obviously, very well. I don't think you're going to get that that much in this league. So it's I, – I, I just – I hesitate, or I, I, I don't think that those schools – are evaluating their options while they go with their head coach. I think it's more about the fan base's feeling about the current head coach. I had an athletic director tell me you're either selling wins or you're selling hope. And if you can't sell either one of those things, that's when you got to move on. Sound the trumpets, it's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIC. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. Wow. All right. Selling wins and selling hope will be a good note, Roddy. We know we got to get you out of here soon. So I want to finish with a couple of these a little more rapid fire as we wrap up looking forward towards this season here. I want to get first player in the ACC. You don't think people are talking about enough heading into the 2022 season. We've talked about a lot of the big names here. Is there a guy you're excited to watch this year that people aren't paying enough attention to nationally? So if you had not mentioned Sean Tucker, I was going to mention Sean Tucker because I cannot talk enough about that dude. I mean, he's just, he's, he's incredible. Um, I'll go Jalen Knighton at Miami. Um, I think he, because of the injuries that they had in the running back room was sort of forced into a role that he did well in. But if you decrease his touches and make his touches more effective, he's as explosive as anybody in the league. And he did that last year as, as a young player. So, so I think Jalen Knighton is set up for a really good year as a guy who can be used as a, I don't know about a gadget player, but, but he's going to take traditional handoffs in the backfield, but you can move him around all over the place. Um, and and his, his explosiveness, I think, is going to be really impressive. He jumped out the other day, too. More patient runner than he gets credit for. Has all that explosive potential there. Watch out for the rooster. Strong, stronger than you give him credit for. Mentality-wise, more physical than he gets credit for. And great short area quickness. I, I'm, I'm very high on Jalen Knighton. Buying Jalen Knighton heading into this season. All right, Roddy, who's your pick to win the league this year? Who do you think is a dark horse that could sneak up and do it as well? So Clemson's my pick to win the year, uh, win the league, um, and, and it's it's sort of chalk until you know I'm proven wrong multiple years in a row. I'm going to keep picking Clemson, uh, but but I really do think that defense and that offensive line, the defense is fantastic, and, and and we talked about all the guys, but that offensive line's development will allow them to be uh, be what they need to be on offense. If they need to be a running football team, the running back room's good enough to do it because they are improving at quarterback. They are improving at receiver. Um, but I think Clemson's the, the pick to do it. Uh, dark horses, I'll, I'll give you two. One is NC State, which we just talked about. The other one, this is, a, this is the, the sort of way out there dark horse. It's actually North Carolina. 
And mm, the yes. reason I the reason I like North Carolina as a dark horse, number one, they don't get Clemson in the regular season, which is always a benefit if you're a coastal team. But two, so you only have to beat Clemson once. But two, I I think that Carolina, with the lumps that they took last year, that roster wasn't there last year. The roster and the talent is sort of at the age where I think they could take a big step. Offensively, they're gonna be fine. At quarterback, Phil Longo's offenses are always great, and the work is going to be a little bit different. So, talent-wise, they're 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 not Clemson, but they're probably as good as Miami. So, uh, so I would look at North Carolina as sort of the dark horse because I think they could win the coastal if everything comes together. They play, got to play better on defense, more consistently on defense, and then uh, then they only have to beat Clemson once in one game. So, man. And what a finale for coastal chaos it would be. The last year for divisions in the ACC, we're going to wave bye to our sweet, sweet child, the coastal, <laughs> which loved by many, feared by all. Um, unless you actually make it to the t- conference title game, then usually it didn't work exactly. out super well. Exactly. But um, do you do you guys count Notre Dame as a coastal division winner? Because I kind of do. Yes. Oh, okay. listen, coming in for one season and then finding your way to the top spiritually, that's so coastal. And, it's unbelievable. And Clemson, of course. And losing, like, I guess someone someone losing to, be, to Clemson. Someone has to be offered up for Clemson every year. We checked every box. We checked my, every box. Yeah, my, my candles that a lot better than I did. I, I wish I like my independent status at that point in time. It's either, it wasn't going to do anything for us then. It wasn't going to help. Wait a minute. What we have? We, we, we have, have no, 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 no. We have, not, not, I, I we have unabashedly courted you for years. We have made our intentions <laughs> very clear, and you're just going to spurn me right now? Oh my god! Showed up with flowers at oh, the doorstep every day. There you go. Just yeah. love me, love yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Roddy. Last one before we let you go here. Favorite matchup in the ACC this season out of conference. Any, any of the teams here? Just, I mean, and if you need a, if you need a, a, a menu here, I've got a tasting menu. If you'd no, like to sample some of the goods, but what I, do you got? So I, I'll give you two, and these are probably the obvious ones that jump out. But I really like Tennessee going to Pittsburgh uh, in a rematch of what we saw last year. Remember, Joe Milton started that game last yep. year against Pitt, and he missed some throws early that probably could have changed the tide as that thing went down the wire. But and, and Pitter, Pitter, uh, people are really looking at Pitt and, and sort of finding ways not to pick Pitt. I, I pick Pitt to win the Coastal personally because of that defense. And we're doing this thing where we're like, oh, Keaton Slovis, like, you know, if he's the starter, I don't know what Pitt's going to do. But Keaton Slovis isn't a bum. Keaton Slovis was the Pac-12 offensive freshman of the year in 19. He was the first team all Pac-12 quarterback in 2020. He got hurt last year. And by the way, that entire program imploded last year. Right. So you can't put that on, on Keaton Slovis. So so I I, uh, I like that matchup. And then the other one that's tasty is Miami going to Texas a and That one is, is tasty for a number of reasons um, because it'll be really our first taste of Miami on a stage like that under Mario Cristobal. And Texas A&M, there's enough questions around that program where if, if – if, if Jimbo's going to put together the type of season where the eight and four jokes aren't going to start, it's got to it's got to start week three when Miami rolls in because Texas A&M should have a talent advantage, does have a talent advantage and should have an advantage on the lines of scrimmage. Uh, but Miami's got the better quarterback. Miami's got the better collection of running backs. And there's a lot of places you can pick out where it's like, I think Miami's got a pretty good shot. So those are the two tasty ones. 
that I think, and, and obviously, you know, Notre Dame you know, jumps in there. And so there's some there's some interesting Notre Dame matchups too. Clemson plays Notre Dame. Well, I say the the Clemson return trip to South Bend, and if it were DJ under center, the scene of him setting the Notre Dame record for yards by an opposing quarterback in Notre Dame Stadium in the game that probably launched all the DJ fame. But I'm with you in the Miami Texas A&M game. I call that the money cannon game because both of those teams have been linked to a lot of financial windfall this offseason that has led to the rise of those programs, and also we'll have fan bases that I'm sure will handle whatever happens in that game very well in a very measured manner. Exactly. exactly. I, I, I thought you were going to mention the uh, Notre Dame-UNC game as you know the big out-of-conference uh, game uh, looking th- this season. Uh, the Big Ten conference game? Notre Dame-UNC? Yeah, the Big Ten ACC challenge. <laughs> I tell you what, don't sleep on that Wake Forest Army rematch either, man. There was about oh, 2,000 oh. points scored in that game last year. <laughs> look, look, Wake Forest was like a pick six on defense away from being in a real dog fight against Army. So, oh, yeah. I was going to say, those Notre Dame-UNC games are very exciting. Like, also, Louisville goes to UCF this year. That was a bonkers game where Dylan Gabriel got hurt at the end of last year. It was like, Pick six, pick pick six again. I can't remember how that thing ended, but it was it was wild. So there's a lot of wild matchups, uh, little rematches that we get. I mean, shit, we start the season with the backyard brawl. College yeah. game day is going to pit West Virginia yeah. as we reignite one of the better geographic rivalries we've ever seen. So excited for all those, excited for college football season. Roddy Jones, ladies and gentlemen, helping us kick off conference previews with the ACC. We appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Yeah, always love it. I appreciate you guys. Keep up the good work. Big thank you to the man, the myth, the legend, Roddy Jones, for coming by, gracing us with the knowledge as we head into this football season. Brandon, you're right. That's going to be a hard bar to clear, but thankfully we got a lot of smart friends, so I think they'll be up to the challenge. Hell yeah, and they clearly love what they're doing and what they're talking about, so I don't think they're measuring it in the bar. They're just answering our questions, which I'm very thankful for. Exactly, so we appreciate Roddy again. Next Tuesday, we'll head to the SEC. We'll get that conference preview going. We'll start NFL divisional previews next week as well because football season's right around the corner. And Brandon, before we get to some other headlines that show us just how close football season is and how different it might look, I want to tell you guys about our friends at Dr. Emil Nutrition. Now, uh, we are a show that believes in getting healthy and getting right. On a fitness journey right now, I was back in the gym today, and I enjoy seeing all the meatheads again. I haven't been in a box gym in a while, and it's nice to see all the big meatheads in there throwing weight around. It's very aspirational. That's just part of the journey, though. Uh, Dr. Emil Nutrition, they believe getting healthy should be about just that. A holistic approach to feeling better every day as a part of that journey. Not just what the end result looks like here. Before I go to the gym, I like to hit up the pre-workout that Dr. Emil has. You can push harder, go farther, live fuller. It's safe, effective, with quality ingredients to boost energy without giving you the jitters and tingles and all that stuff. I'm 32. I don't need to feel like that anymore. Dr. Emil has a great array of natural, high-quality supplements that were hand-selected to enhance each aspect of your personal wellness journey. So visit Dr. Emil Nutrition and use the discount code GOJO20, that's gojo two zero for 20% off plus free shipping on all orders. Go to Dr. Emil, that's spelled D-R-E-M-I-L, nutrition.com. Brandon, now do you know what time it is? And I said, our song is the dead and thirst, staying up late, talking sports jokes and fast food. And we're on Zoom till our face turns blue. 
for the five star ratings and reviews. Our songs that in the third, staying up late, talking sports, jokes, and fast food. And when I go, for I say amen, I thank God, please. This, that, and the third again. <laughs> Listen, execution's like a five. Heart and hustle are at an eleven right now. Well, I I appreciate you. That thank was beautiful. You. A lot of people have called out the fact that I have not given you your sauce, your Taylor Swift rendition of this, that, and the third. And there's a lot of Taylor Swift heat out there. The number one song I googled. Uh, what's the number one song from Taylor Swift? Shake it off, which I love. I like a little bit, I, but I couldn't fit it into the this, that. We'll work on it. We'll work on it, but I had to give you something. And also those harmonizers. Easier to, a little bit more difficult to fit it in than, than with the rappers and the rockers. Listen, she is a woman that contains multitudes. Brandon, your effort is appreciated. It is beautiful. Make sure, as always, you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating. And tell us what you think of Brandon's next rendition of This, That, and the Third in those reviews. But, Brandon, let's get to This, That, and the Third now that you've beautifully <laughs> introed it. Let's start with this. Uh, we had basketball news yes. today. Um, according to Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN, the Celtics... While they appear no closer to acquiring Kevin, Dur- acquiring Kevin Durant than others with the Nets, Boston has now apparently thrown their hat in the ring. Their ability to include all-star forward Jalen Brown as the centerpiece in an offer does make them formidable in the pursuit, according to sources. Now, a Celtics insider consider all-NBA forward Jason Tatum off-limits, but Boston's able to construct a package for Durant that would include Brown as well as many as three unprotected first-round picks Two pick swaps uh, as well. Brown is two years and $56 million left on his current deal. Brandon, as we go along here, the deal seems unlikelier and unlikelier for the Nets. But I can tell you, after seeing Jalen Brown already just tweet mm-hmm. SMH yesterday when this news broke, this has a chance to undo a lot of the good that happened in the back half of the last Celtics season by alienating a player based on your offseason moves and the things that end up getting I just leaked. mean, I mean, come on. Jalen Brown gave y'all everything. Don't show him that he is dispensable when it comes to the Kevin Durant sweepstakes. And he's, and he's he's it's not just him. Former Defensive Player of the Year, Marcus Smart. That's one of the things that's hanging up. the 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 Nets are like, no, we need one of him. We need Marcus Smart too. And the Celtics are like, y'all are bugging. I I, th- I feel bad for for Jason Tatum sitting in this uh, situation, looking back and forth between his you know his mom and dad fighting. He's like, oh well, I, I ain't going nowhere. Jalen Brown has worked hard enough to be a staple in Boston, but he has also worked hard enough to be a nice big trading piece for I don't know the Kevin Durant to the world. It is amazing. Jalen Brown was the best player on that team in the finals. <laughs> yes, I can't believe like, you said it. yes. He was. He was he was consistently the guy down the stretch that was able to be counted on for the Boston Celtics. It just shows you, man, there's no love and loyalty out here, and as soon as you think you have arrived at that point, they will sell you down the river for a guy that's better. That being said, I would offer a lot for Kevin Durant, too, because if you put him on that team with Jason Tatum, while it feels a little redundant, it's probably what gets you over the hump, and it's better for us, so... Uh, enjoy the mess that just got made in Boston, Celtics fans. I am happy for you guys. Uh, Brandon, let's get to that. 
The NFL has joined the streaming wars. The NFL announced their streaming platform that will begin this upcoming season. NFL Plus. Real original, guys. I mean, at some point, it works. It got me there, and I immediately went and downloaded it. Now, NFL Plus is available in the NFL app, and it essentially mimics, for anyone that ever had NFL Game Pass, it's basically the same thing. It's $5 a month or $40 a year. You can upgrade to NFL Plus Premium for $80 a year. And again, all these features should sound pretty familiar. Live local and primetime games on mobile and tablets. Live out-of-market preseason games across all devices. Live audio, home and away, and national calls for every game of the season. A library of on-demand programming. And for the premium, all of that plus full game replays, condensed game replays, and, God willing, the return of the Coaches All-22 film, which they fucked up royally in Game Pass towards the end of that product the last time around. So, Brandon, listen, I'd essentially, it would, Game Pass used to cost $100. This, if you want to do the NFL premium, is $20 less for all of the same services. And if they give me back a competent All-22 product, this is a no-brainer. I have already gone and made sure that I am signed up for this because I'm hopelessly addicted to this league. And now that I can have it on my phone in an even easier way that has a cute little plus at the end, it was a no-brainer for me. I just, please, for the love of God, fix the All-22. Make that better. The condensed game thing, vital for people in our industry. But the All-22 would be an absolute godsend, and I hope they do us that favor. I don't know. I don't know. Feels like old news. Feels like something that should have been rolled out in 2020. It's fine. Okay, I'll download the thing. I mean, I'll 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 watch the thing. I love the thing. How dare you guys prostitute the thing again? But I'm down. Take my money. Take my credit card. And yeah, uh, see if I can expense it. I'll talk to Stacy about it. Brandon, let's get to the all important news in the third because. Yesterday was a sad day. Mm. Fans, and this is according to People Magazine, fans of the Klondike Choco Taco were saying goodbye to the beloved ice cream. The dessert giant discontinued the iconic chocolatey treat that's been sold for almost four decades, people confirmed. According to a rep for Klondike, which is owned by Unilever, the Choco Taco was entirely discontinued in July due to an unprecedented spike in demand for different Klondike products over the last two Mm. years. Um... Brandon, stunned, dismayed, and saddened. And the worst part is, someone and people have already pointed out on Twitter that this may just be an elaborate scheme to drum up enough interest to re-release the (gasps) Choco Taco for a higher price later on. That's what's going on. Because America, we don't get rid of things. We don't get rid of things that sell. We don't get rid of things that are tasty. Especially not things that sell and make people fat. Oh my God, we love those things. We, We love to make our people sick. With deliciousness and sweets. And I'll tell you what, that Choco Taco, I don't know what it was like, Mike, for you, but you're talking about a new price. I felt like there was a point in time where I graduated to the Choco Taco. It was like something that like my older cousins always got, but they always like made sure I only had something that was on a stick when the ice cream man came around. And then there was that one time I got a chance to take a bite of that Choco Taco. And let me tell you what. There's no looking back after that. I'm not talking about the ice cream filled when I'm talking about, or the chocolate ice cream filled, but I'm talking about the regular old degular. And I'm not also not talking about the one that you buy at the store because them shells seem to be stale, like the, the bag's been open. I'm talking about the individually wrapped, can't see through the plastic till you open it, Choco Taco, that foil. I know what you're talking okay. about. And I think they, I think they all hit different coming out of the ice cream truck. I want to make that abundantly clear. Like, 
I am going to present to you a list, Brandon, and I want that, what you just described, at the foundation of this list. Because I think the Choco Taco is a top three ice cream truck treat. And that's why this is particularly sad, because it's one of the few things that started out in that avenue that was different and interesting and unique in the way it was presented. And we love that shit. We love innovation. So, Brandon, this to me, I did college football playoff style. I did a top four and then the next two out as the top six ice cream truck snacks. Choco Taco, again, checks in at number three, so I'll get that out of the way right now. It is a top three ice cream truck snack, and that's why I'm so pissed off at this. Number one, any character that has gumball eyes. Sonic, SpongeBob, Uh, Ninja Turtles, what have you. It depends on the color of the gumball eyes, but I I feel you. I understand where you're at. I feel your heart and spirit. It's like the, the flip for this, that, and the third. Your heart is there. Execution, maybe a five. I'll go, I'll go through the whole list, and okay, then you can react here. Number two is the chocolate eclair bar. Heard a lot of people bitching about the strawberry shortcake and the almond toasted almond bar. With all due respect, those aren't as good as the chocolate eclair bar. So you can deal with that. Number three is the Choco Taco, and rounding out the top four in the college football playoff of ice cream, drumsticks. Mm. Uh, just on the outside looking in, I have at number five, the bomb pop, and number six, the ice cream sandwich, a tried and true classic. So... That, to me, the definitive list of the top six ice cream truck treats. Again, as they are served coming out of an ice cream truck. Not if you went and bought them in the right. store. Not if you went to the freezer aisle of the grocery section. Because they all render differently. It is different than consuming it on a hot day when you are outdoors, barefoot on the concrete, throwing together chains to try and get this shit off. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to go a little bit more specific. I think, number one, you got to go with Sonic. That uh, that blue that blue in the ice cream. And I agree. The... the, the I w- the I, green balls. I do want to make it abundantly clear. He is my number one okay. character at okay. this point okay, in yes. time. Because like the the ninja tu- the teenage mutant ninja turtles like looks good, but that red and that green don't hit as much as that blue does. Uh, so let's let's be real about that. And I honestly, I'm with the people. Like the uh, strawberry, strawberry uh, strawberry sh- 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 shortcake. Okay. I think that's probably three. Choco tacos probably two. Um, and then the ones that are just just hanging out uh, out the you know, you're right. Bomb pop, bomb pop with the with the gumball preferably. And you know I'm I'm a simple man. I like them I like them ice them lemonade chillers with my little uh with my little uh my you know what? Uh, was it the wooden spoon the and little just, wooden just spoon get after yeah, oh. that thing let it let it melt near the end like that that's 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 round out number I, six for me I think. I do love anything that offers you a wooden spoon. That's yes. a great point and a great part of the experience out there. I saw a lot of people also offering up the chip witch. If I'm going to go any sort of ice cream sandwich, I just like the texture of the normal ice yeah. cream sandwich with the softer yeah. outer casing. Chip witch, usually a little colder. You got to bite through it and it's kind of tough. And then you end up shooting the ice cream out of the sides everywhere. It makes yes. a whole mess that doesn't exist with the tried and true ice cream sandwich. Love a chip witch, love a chip wheel. Shout out to our friends at Graders, but not in this How do instance. you feel about getting duped, hoodwinked, bamboozled, getting a vanilla ice cream sandwich, and then receiving a Neapolitan? I'm not out on the Neapolitan. If it was just strawberry, I'd be ticked, but providing me all three flavors is actually kind of an awesome little surprise. Wow. I'm on the other side yeah. of, that, of that fence. No surprises. Us, us not agreeing. And also, speaking of just last face thing, there's no gumball here, but I feel like Spider-Man was like the start of my love for the ice cream man treats. 
You know what I mean? Like the, it was safe. Like I imagine now where people get with the minions, just like a, a, a character that I understand yep. is nothing crazy. I'm just eating a face of a superhero to me, you know? It's a beautiful thing, man. Life should be so simple in its many forms here. Hearing the sweet siren song of the ice cream truck, going running. Even as an adult, I kept a jar of coins on my counter and small bills so that when I heard that sweet, sweet song, no matter what I was doing, I could go sprinting out, elbow a bunch of kids out of the way, and make sure I got what was rightfully mine in the neighborhood. So shout out to the ice cream men and women all across the country doling out joy for the masses. We're all going to work hard. I understand that this might be an elaborate corporate scam tied to greed at the base of it all, but I want Choco Tacos back for us. I believe we deserve them in ice cream trucks across the country. I don't want a generation of kids to grow up without them. So make sure you spam the Klondike people routinely on Twitter and let them know how you feel. Also, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get this podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review, and give us your top ice creams from the ice cream truck. Yes. Not at the store, not anywhere else. The top five, top six, whatever you want treats from the ice cream truck, and we'll see if you guys have good taste like we do. We appreciate you listening as always. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.